If you have a Bible with you this morning, you could turn to Mark chapter 2. We're looking at verse 17, or verse 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can use your um, order worship, or you can use your phone, or anything else. So I say to you, hear the word of God. When he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) Jesus heard it and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that um, while we might be convicted of our sin, I pray that we would also be convicted of grace. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So we're in the middle of a series on uh, the Gospel of Mark, but really specifically the healing miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And this week we're taking a little bit of a deviation. And we're taking a little bit of a deviation from just a healing miracle because on one hand, um, I'll be honest with you, the passage that I'm preaching today is a lot more exciting than the man with the withered hand. (laughs) <laughs> be honest, I, that's just straight up preacher-like life. Um, on the other hand, um, it really sort of is central because we look at these healing miracles and the healing miracles, we're, we're looking at them not as, as uh, sort of techniques to be healed, but in fact what they say to us about Jesus. And the, the illusion Jesus makes today is that he actually is a doctor of some sort. And so it just made sense to me. So we're going to look at this, uh, in some sense, a very famous passage, but on the other hand, it's one I don't know that we look at enough. So I'm going to open this morning. I'm going to ask you a question, as I often do. So the question is this Is the church full of hypocrites? Or have you ever heard that? Right? No, so here's the thing there are a lot of hypocrites here. Right? You all know who I'm looking at. Everyone. I mean, t- think about, maybe, maybe a different way I should have done it is ask yourself this, what's your greatest hypocrisy? Are you self-aware enough to know what you, the, your greatest hypocrisy is? So I'm going to confess to you this morning. Many of you have heard, maybe every now and then, me complain about bad drivers in the state of Washington. <laughs> you ever heard that? I'll be honest with you. I'm not that great a driver. I'm a hypocrite. You see, the thing is, the reason I don't like everyone, I just, I, I want to be a bad driver alone on the road. That's the thing. But see, now, I confessed it, so I'm not a hypocrite anymore. But the point is, all of us are hypocrites. Now, here's even better news, is that when, if you hear the church is full of hypocrites, the good news is this, is the church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for more, Okay? And so that really, at some level, is what we're going to be looking at today. Whether or not um, there's room in the church 
for anybody, whether or not there's room in the context of the gospel for any person on the face of the earth, any person alive, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. We're going to look at three things this morning about Jesus. We're going to see him do three things. And basically, we're going to see that Jesus initiates, we see that Jesus celebrates in this passage, and then finally, Jesus elaborates. Okay? He also infuriates, but I didn't want to do four points. Okay? So <laughs> Jesus initiates, he celebrates, and he elaborates. And for extra credit, he will also infuriate, I bet. So how does Jesus initiate? Let's look at the first few verses here. In uh, verse 13, it says that he went out again beside the sea, that is Jesus, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So if you look closely at this passage, you'll notice a, a, a few things. On one hand, Jesus is doing his thing, right? He's going by the sea, and he's teaching, and it says everybody, all came after him. Everybody was behind him, clearly except one guy, Matthew. Matthew is still sitting, or Levi in this passage. Levi is sitting at his tax booth. So one of the things we see here is that Jesus not only initiates with sinners, but Jesus actually initiates with the worst of sinners, that in this passage, we see that Jesus, Levi, arguably, is the worst sinner in all of Capernaum, at least in the eyes of every other person in Capernaum. You see, Levi was a tax collector, and if you were a tax collector in Jesus' day, what that meant was basically this, everyone hated you. It's not much different now, except back then it was a little different in the case that tax collectors in the in the this system, or the Roman system, basically meant that Levi was Jewish, but he was be considered to be a traitor by religious Jews because he had taken a job with the Romans to take their money. He was working with Gentiles to sort of shaft them. And so religious people wouldn't have liked him. In fact, religious people wouldn't have let Levi go to the synagogue. So if he wanted to go to church, they would have said, no, you're not welcome here because of your behavior, because of what you've done, really because of your politics. You can't come. On the other hand, irreligious people would have hated him as well, too. So remember who's walking along with Jesus. Peter, James, and, 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 and John and Andrew are walking with Jesus, and they're fishermen. They're business people. How many business people love the tax collector? None that I know of. And can you imagine? They're walking by, and everything's going great, and the, the, the crowd is going crazy, and Jesus sees poor old Matthew sitting by himself, all by his lonesome, and he goes over and calls him. Can you imagine what the Peter and Andrew and James and John were thinking? You don't want that guy. You don't want that guy. He'll take your money, and then <laughs> he'll stab you in the back and run with it. You, you, he's not the guy. They had to be wondering in their heart, what in the world is Jesus doing? Jesus initiates with Levi, the worst of sinners. And the question is, what's Levi going to do? He certainly must have heard about Jesus. Now, by the way, tax collectors were so odious. There's a reason he's probably sitting at his tax booth, even though all the action was happening around Jesus. Remember when we looked at uh, Zacchaeus a while back, tax collectors didn't like to walk around in crowds because it was a good way to get a knife in your back. And so Matthew would have lived a lonely, isolated life, and Jesus pursues him, the tax collector. And he goes to, to Levi, and did you notice what he did not say to Levi? He didn't go to Levi and say, hey, Levi, I see you're a tax collector. 
odious in everyone's eyes, horrible politics, everything. I mean, think, think about Levi. I mean, speaking of politics, Levi, if you want to know how unpopular he would have been, imagine Hillary Clinton showing up at a Donald Trump rally. Or imagine Donald Trump showing up at a CNN Christmas party. It just wouldn't happen. But Jesus doesn't go to, to Levi and say, Levi, here's the thing. All these people, they hate your guts, so I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you some pointers. If you would just do A, B, and C, if you'd quit being a tax collector, and you'd start going to the temple, and you'd start being good, and you'd start taking care of the poor, and you'd start doing all these things, then you can join the crowd and follow me, and it'll all be copacetic. He doesn't say that to him, does he? Jesus says to the very worst of sinners, follow me. It's completely and utterly unqualified. He doesn't say to the worst of sinners, get your act together and then come after me. Make sure you get your life right. Make sure you start living clean and come after me. Jesus says to the worst of sinners, follow me. And now the ball is completely in Levi's court. What's he going to do? Follow or not follow? And what do we see? What he does, it says that he, he rose and followed him. That was his option. And the same is true today. The same is true with you and for me, whether you're a Christian or not. You see, often, um, as a church planter and thing, years ago, I would get the question, you know, can I be this or that and be a Christian? Right? Can I be left-handed and be a Christian? No one's ever said that. But I've heard things like, can I be gay and be a Christian? Can I be this? Can I be divorced and be a Christian? Or can I be, you name it. And I always tell that person, if that's one of those, if that's you, you're asking the wrong question at the wrong time. Because Jesus always asks the first question. And Jesus says, will you follow me? If you're gay, Jesus says, will you follow me? If you're divorced, Jesus says, will you follow me? If you're single, he says, will you follow me? If you're, if you're not a Christian, if you, if, no matter who you are, he says, will you follow me? And then you answer that question, yes or no. And if you answer no, then you don't even need to ask your other question. doesn't matter. But if you say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, then ask your question. And Jesus will instruct you further. You see, the call of Jesus is unqualified, but we tend to make it qualified. A lot of us, when we're not Christian, I remember when I wasn't a, a Christian, I thought, well, I sort of thought there was a God, and I sort of thought I needed to be good, and I wondered if I was ever going to be good enough, and probably not, and so I just resigned myself that I'd probably end up in hell anyway. Jesus doesn't come and say, get your act together before you follow me. He says, follow me. And we know if you read the Gospels, the people who followed him were not the sharpest knives in the drawer. They, they didn't get it all the time. So the question isn't whether you understand all of your theology or whether you, you've gotten your life right. The question is, will you follow? Jesus initiates with the worst of sinners. The question is, will you follow? Because here's the great news. If you follow Jesus, it ultimately leads to a celebration. It leads to partying. You see, oftentimes we think, man, if I follow Jesus, that just means my life is over. Did you notice in the text what happens? Jesus calls Levi the worst of sinners, and we know from Matthew that on the way, he must have said to Levi, hey, Levi, let's have a party at your house. And Levi was sort of like, um... now Levi, by the way, as tax collector, would have been pretty wealthy. And the prospect of having a guy who could turn water into wine, throw in the party, that's pretty good. 
But imagine Levi, he's a new Christian, he's just decided to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, let's have a party at your house tonight. I can just imagine Levi going, Jesus, you know, like, all my friends, they're all tax collectors, they're all sinners, no one likes them. <laughs> like, Jesus, I can imagine, what? that's the point. That's the point. You see, because grace celebrates that Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't initiate with the worst of sinners to then shame them. He doesn't initiate with the worst of sinners, die for their sins, raise them from the dead, completely change them, completely give them a new name in order to make them miserable. In fact, Jesus says, Levi, let me give you a lesson in what it means to do outreach. You see, we tend to think in church, like, well, we're going to do some outreach programs, and that means for those poor saps outside, we're going to throw a party or something and hope they come. And what Jesus says is, Matthew, Levi, let's have a party at your house and invite all your friends. You see, Jesus isn't afraid to hang out with sinners. Jesus isn't afraid to hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Why? Because Jesus, for one, knows that their sin isn't going to rub off on him. Right? We're sort of worried. We we don't hang out with people like that because we're afraid either we're going to catch it, I guess, or worse, someone might see us and think we're like them. Jesus doesn't care. You know the good news of the gospel? You shouldn't care either. You see, if, if if the gospel's true, what that means is Jesus has gone to the cross and he's taken your sin and my sin. And he's not only taken our sin and, and by that given us forgiveness, but he has also, in the same process, gives us his righteousness. So that, that now, in the sight of God, you and I, for those who trust him, are as utterly righteous as you will ever be. Tax collectors, sinners, invite them, Matthew. Invite them, Levi. You see, Jesus calls people like that. We are actually called toward to people like that. What do I tell our church all the time? We ought to be inviting people. Not just inviting people to church, but invite people to anything. People wonder why no one becomes Christians. Well, people can't become Christians if Christians don't spend time with them. And if Christians don't spend time with them because they think they're somehow going to, to be seen as bad around bad people, well, then you don't really get it. There's more chance of someone who's not a Christian becoming a Christian by hanging out with you than not. You see, what we're called to do if we understand the love of God is to show the love of God. And the grace of God is unreasonable. You know, I was, I was looking through my notes this morning, and I'm always reminded, I've told the story before of Harold Powell. When I was a kid, I grew up in, in South Florida. My family was very poor. My mom was a single mother with five kids. And there was a pastor from a very large charismatic church that would often visit our house. He would bring food. He'd bring, you know, groceries and things. I, I'm assuming one of my neighbors told him about us. And I can remember him um, trying to tell my mom about Jesus and her saying she wasn't interested. And him, he always kept, he would always bring groceries and he'd always do his little pastoral calls. I remember I broke my back when I was 13. He was the first person in the hospital. We never went to his church, by the way. And if, my fam- if, if anyone in our family had gotten like, converted, right, we became Christians, we wouldn't have been like big tithers, I can tell you that. And when I was 15 years old, he was, he was on his deathbed. And my family was called to his deathbed. And he couldn't speak. All I remember is us being brought around his deathbed, and he touched each of us, and we left. And as we were leaving, his wife 
told my mom, and I'll never forget because I, I, I was so young, I don't remember. It, it, it's in my memory, she almost said it like with a sneer. She said, his love for your family was unreasonable. And then he died. And then about a year or two later, I became a Christian. And suddenly we all started dropping like dominoes. You see, here's a man who had a big church. He wasn't afraid to hang out with sinners. And God used him. God will use you. Every one of us has insecurity. We think, wow, you know, God can never use me. All you have to do is be there. So Jesus, you see, see Jesus initiates here, and he um, celebrates here. But then, of course, for the self-righteous among us, he has to elaborate. They don't get it. Notice what he says. In verse um, 16, it says, The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So as we've been looking at Mark, you know, this is one of... as, as of the last passage, there's sort of five conflicts in a row that Jesus engages with the Pharisees about. And all of them have to do with the fact that he's, he's willing to engage with sinners. And they're asking the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the, like most self-righteous Pharisees, they don't actually go to the person they have a problem with. They go to, go to someone else. And they say, why does, why does he eat with them? You see, because in the ancient Near East, eating with anybody was a sign of of fellowship. It meant you accepted them. It meant they they might as well be part of your family or better. The hospitality was so big. And they said, why does he do that? Right? So almost implicit in the question is, why doesn't he do it with us? Why don't we get invited to the party? We follow the law. we, We wear the right clothing. We do the right things. We avoid the right people. All of these things. Why does he eat with them and not us? And Jesus hears them and answers them for the disciples. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's actually a pretty common proverb in the ancient Near East, and it makes sense. If you don't need a doctor, then no big deal. He says, those who need a physician are not the well, but the sick. But then Jesus adds on. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the question is whether or not you see yourself as a sinner. You see, the only, the only criteria, the only, the only thing you can bring to the table if you want a relationship with Jesus is not your goodness, but your badness. Are you willing to give it to him? Are you willing to let him take it? Are you willing to let him forgive it? And are you willing to let him transform you and change you? The Pharisees weren't like that. The Pharisees didn't want that from Jesus. They saw themselves as being righteous. And Jesus says, if that's how you see yourself, you don't need me. And that's infuriating to some people because if you, they, want, they, they work for approval, they think they have it, and Jesus says you don't. How you get your approval is to come through me and only through me. But here's the thing, anyone can have it, anyone. Some of you think, you know, we talk about sin and some of you out there are going, man, Tom, if you knew my sins, you'd actually increase the definition. You'd broaden things. And that's not true. There's no sin, there's no person that Jesus is unwilling to receive or to heal. You know, I'll close with this story. Years ago, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. I, I just happened to remember that at a, at a church plant. And I got an email that week from a guy. 
And all the email said was, this week I was visiting your church and basically and you said that you think Jesus can change anybody. Do you believe that? What's he expect me to write back? No, not really. <laughs> I said, well, let's have lunch and, and you tell me. And so we had lunch, and in the course of the lunch, he basically proceeded to tell me about a lifestyle. He grew up in the church. He came out as, as gay when he was 16, and then spent the next, you know, 20 or 30 years, every day, every night, basically living an immoral lifestyle by anyone's definition. His dad was a pastor, by the way. And he, when he tells the story to other people, which he did eventually, he said, man, I told Tommy my story, and he didn't even blink. And I didn't. He says, doesn't that shock you? Doesn't that horrify you? And I said, honestly, no, not really. And he said, why? And I said, because if Jesus can't change you, I'm sunk. He's like, really? And as the course of the conversation, at some point, he said, what do I need to do? And I said, you need to repent. And he said, what does that mean? I said, that just means come home. Come home. Jesus says, will you follow me? Follow him home. And he cried, and it was a great meeting. And then after he stopped crying, he said, do you have any meetings at church for people like me? And I said, what do you mean? He said, do you have any special meetings for people like me? And I said, absolutely. And he said, when do, you, when do you meet? And I said, 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. And he thought about that for a second. He said, isn't that when church is? I said, that is church. That is church. You see, the, the, the other night, one of the greatest, it was, it was a great moment, um, at least from my ministry. Um, we had a, there was a meeting at my house, some interviews were going on, and someone asked the question, tell, tell me about your church. And one of our elders' wives immediately said, my husband and I have been here for 20 years, and when we first started attending this church, it was a country club. And now it's more like a hospital. It's true. It was very affirming to me. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but to come sinners, to call sinners. He came not to call those who are well, but those who are sick. And so if you are sick and wounded and sore, this is the place for you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and you would just um, minister grace to everyone here. People who are not Christians, I pray that you would draw them in, that they would follow you. People who are Christians, I pray that you would draw them in and that they also would follow even that much closer. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen.